0: Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Hello everyone, David Nagel, Welcome to the Successful Mind Podcast. Today, We're talking about a really cool idea that everybody should know. It's called know your enemy. In other words, know the thing that is working against you, uh, making it difficult for you to achieve some kind of success. Because I think that for most people, they really don't understand what they're up against. In other words, they may have some idea that it might get rough, that it could be hard. They may have to double down on desire and commitment and discipline and Uh, you know, learning, being uncomfortable, uh, all of these these things that we hear the most of. Um, But what is it that is really gnawing in at the human being specifically that is causing the major problem with us really succeeding in life? And I got to tell you, I don't necessarily see success as some kind of a destination like I don't think it's a million or 10 million or 100 million or a billion or did you build the biggest uh, entrepreneurial this that or or the other. I think success re, all over all of the years that I've seen different kinds of uh uh, ideas about what success is. There's many podcasts where a person will say at the end of the podcast or, or in some kind of question format, what's your idea of success? And they'll give some idea. I still think Earl Nightingale's is the best they've ever seen. I think it's the most accurate based on the idea of human beings and success itself. And it's basically this. Success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. In other words, if we're progressively moving and going after a worthy ideal and realizing that every day, we're a successful person. Because there is no there is no destination. You know, once you get there, the journey's over. You know, the challenge is over. Unless you start another one, you know, you're back to being who you were before. So it's not this place where we just get to... And we actually stabilize. It is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Now, if we understand that, we can also, I think, more thoroughly understand the enemy that is in there that's causing uh, this problem. So let me tell you let me tell you how I started to realize this in myself because it was one of those things that I didn't know was there, uh, even after studying for a long time. And it was a huge breakthrough and it literally changed my results in about a matter of a week in my business. When I first started in the seminar business, I was doing seminars. They were about 495 bucks a ticket. These were live events. And I was putting about 25, 30, 35 people in a room. Um, when I started, I really did not have, I didn't have like a list that I had been marketing to. I hadn't cultivated a list. I hadn't cultivated much of anything, in order to be able to go out there and market to uh, individuals to be able to sell them into a seminar. So the the idea was, who do I know? First, first and foremost, who do I know that could benefit from this, and then work on trying to sell those individuals. So, so this worked, by the way, right? I had I had I I found that I had enough people to do, I don't know, I think it was three or four seminars, Um, and I was doing them almost back-to-back in those days uh, because I didn't know what I was doing, and there wasn't much profit uh, the way that I was doing them. Nobody taught me how to do them to make them profitable. We had to figure that out on our own, and I wasn't coaching back in that time, so the upsell was basically like cassette programs And then CD programs with a workbook. You know, that's what we would sell in the back of the room. And those things ranged anywhere from, say, $99 to about $345, something like that. If you, the idea was that you made your money off of numbers. So if you had a lot of people in the room and a lot of people bought those programs that each dealt with very specific issues when they left, you know, you could, you could do, you could do relatively well. And later, later years, a couple of years after this, there were times where we would do 300,000 in product sales just in the, in the back of the room alone, sometimes more if I was working with somebody. So, um, but in the beginning it wasn't there. So I was renting space to be able to do these seminars. And the only money that I had to pay for the space was the money from the tickets of the seminar. So if there wasn't enough people in that room then I was actually taking a loss, and there there was not much cushion in the beginning. So, I in the very first off in the beginning, I wanted somebody that was going to help me sell, and I hired someone. And after, basically, we got through the people that we knew. Uh, this person proved out proved not to be uh, useful because they could they could sell if it was somebody that they knew, but if they didn't know them, they really couldn't sell. So the truth is, they really couldn't sell and the, i woke up to this one morning with a with a like a a, a real st- real stark reality around this so i'm like okay so i have to go out and do this myself and as i'm and as i'm thinking about it i'm getting angry and i could feel myself getting angry i did not want to go out and do this i had an ideal image in my mind that was basically I want to teach what I'm teaching, but I don't want to be the person that's out there selling it. I want to have other people selling it. So um, I didn't have other people at this time. I had to figure out how to do this on my own because I just let this guy go. Anyway, here I am, first day that I'm going to have to make sales calls. I'm sitting in my converted uh, bedroom office in my 980 square foot ranch house in Northern Illinois and uh, I'm going to start selling and I'm staring at the phone that's on my desk and I'm not picking the phone up and I'm thinking to myself all these different things well who am I going to call and where do I get numbers and you know I had a white pages in front of me that had businesses in it and yellow pages in front of me and I was you know I'm, I'm shuffling around on my desk, I'm going on the internet, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at that, and a day goes by, and another day goes by, and another day goes by, and I still haven't picked up the phone to make one call. And about three, four days into this, I'm going, okay, what, you're avoiding this? You're getting angry about it? You're getting angry that you're avoiding it? What? Why are you avoiding this? What is really going on? And the first excuse was, I don't know who to call. I just don't know who to call. And what I was really saying was, I don't have anybody that I know that I can call. I have to call people that I don't know now. And I wasn't happy about that. So I'm sitting there and I'm going, this is almost a week in and you've made no sales. And I had an agreement with somebody that I would make a certain amount of money each month or I would go back and get a job. And here I am one week into the, to this month and no sales. And I'm thinking, I've got to change this around really fast or I'm going to have to go back to work if I don't come up with that money this month. So I'm like, what is this about? What is actually going on with me that is keeping me not only from picking up the phone, but it's got me doing all other kinds of crazy activities that are not income generating activities at all. And they're not even, you couldn't, they couldn't even be construed as income generating activities. I wasn't marketing. I wasn't writing copy. I wasn't networking. I was just surfing, I was looking for things that I didn't know what I was looking for. I was wasting time, is what I was doing. I was deep into procrastination. So I'm thinking, what is this about? Like, what the hell is going on with me? And at first I thought, well, maybe I'm afraid to fail. Maybe that's what it is. I'm I'm afraid I'm gonna get rejected and then I'm gonna fail. And I thought, that doesn't even feel right in my body. I don't, I'm, I don't feel like I'm afraid that I'm going to get rejected. I don't feel like I'm afraid to fail. If I it, There's nothing about the fear of it that would bother me. Like, I mean, I'm, obviously I wouldn't like it, but I already know how to do the things that I've been doing for the last seven years. I could easily go back and get a job, either get my job back or get another job at another company doing the exact same thing with the equivalent amount of money. Nobody's going to starve. We're not losing our house again. We're not, you know, we're not going to go through any of that again. What is it that's going on with me? Another day goes by. and I'm like, son of a bitch. I got to figure this out. So I'll never forget this. I was sitting down at my desk and I was staring out the window and that this room faced my front yard. And I had, uh, I had a, like a big front yard lawn. I'm looking across the lawn, across the street that we're on and into We had woods across the street, a forest on the other side of the street. I'm just kind of staring into those woods and I'm thinking, what is this? What is this? Because I knew that if I did not figure out what this was, it's over. It's really over. And all of a sudden, while I'm staring, it was almost a meditative state, like thinking about what is going on here. And I start hearing the voices of friends and family that have ridiculed me for being on this journey. They ridiculed me when I went to my first seminar. They ridiculed me when I went to my second seminar. They ridiculed me for all the study, all the books that I was reading, um, all the money that I was spending. And then when I decide to leave, you know, and so I'm raised middle class, working class, right? I decide to walk away from, a, in their mind, a great job. It's got health insurance. It has retirement. It pays well if you're living that lifestyle. Um, It's a solid, it's a solid company. And I'm going to walk away from this and do what? You're going to walk away from this and you're going to do seminars and you're going to use up your, your little 401k that you developed over time to help you get started. Like, you've got four kids, you're married, you've got a house, you've got a double mortgage because you took out all this loan money in order to be mentored and go to these, uh, these silly seminars that you're attending. Like, what are you even thinking? You have no experience doing any of this. You've never built a business in your life. What are you doing? And I'm hearing all these voices over and over in my head, and it dawns on me that what I'm really afraid of is that they're going to be right. And as I started to think about the possibility of them being right, immediately I started hearing them one after another, basically say one, one version of this or another, I told you so. And I could hear all that I told you so's. Uh, if it was that easy, everybody would do it. <clears throat> the only people in the seminar business that get rich are the ones that are putting on the seminars, um, the only people that write books that get rich are the ones that write the books, not the people that read the books. Um, and I'm hearing all this stuff in my head. What, a, you know, what is, you screwed up your kid's college. You, you don't have health insurance. Like you don't, you know, you just screwed up, screwed up, screwed up. And I'm hearing it over and over and over again. And as I'm hearing it, I'm getting really angry sitting there. And I'm thinking to myself, damn it. The enemy is shame. Like it dawns on me, I'm afraid to be ashamed of making a mistake because it wasn't the mistake. I could easily correct the mistake. I knew that. It you know most mistakes are mathematical, meaning you understand what caused the mistake. You're on the other side of it. You understand what you have to do to get back. And let's face it, folks, whether you want to believe this or not, if you really sit down and do some soul searching, we've made millions of mistakes since we were born, and we've recovered. We've recovered. We're amazing at at getting past mistakes. What we're not amazing at is dealing with shame or getting past it. So I'm sitting there thinking to myself, the worst experience at this point in my life, at this stage, what I was going through, the worst experience that I could possibly imagine in my mind was to have to listen to, I told you so, and then say you were right. I even created, I'll never forget, I even created this argument in my head. Like I'm literally arguing with this person. Who did? who's not saying this, I haven't failed, but I'm having an argument with a person in my head. And they're saying, I told you so, you shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't have done And I'm coming up with excuses as to why it didn't work and how I'm going to go back and I'm going to make it work. And the more I did, went down this road with this argument, the more I felt like shit. And I realized that my fear that was paralyzing me was the idea of having to deal with shame and Literally having to face all of the people that said that I was making a huge mistake, and then having them be right in it, even though I was insisting in my head that they're wrong, uh, and feeling the shame around that. And when I when I realized that, when I got really clear, I started to get so angry, and I thought I will never, ever in my life, ever, ever, never, ever fail so that they could win in being right. Because that's what their significance was in life. It was about being right even when they were wrong. These are people that for the most part, when you show them, you can literally show them that they're wrong about something and they will insist that they're right and you're wrong or they will walk away from you or, you know, accuse you of something else. Like it was was baffling. But this is what the people were because their significance in life was to to find something that they could hang their hat on uh, and be right about. And the fact that none of them had very many experiences in life, there were few of these stories, so they're always looking for another one that they can tell you for the rest of your goddamn life about how you fucked something up and you shouldn't have done it. And I did not want to be the statistic that walked around and talks about well, I could have done this and I could have been a millionaire and I could have been great and I could have been all this and then create the excuse that says, but if it wasn't for this person or that thing or this, I could have been. I didn't want to be a couldn't be, I could have been. I didn't want to be a has been. I didn't want to be a bin at all. So I decided, well, you know what? I'm not gonna let it, I'm not gonna let it stop me. So what I need to immediately do is I need to immediately get on the phone. And I did get on the phone, and I earned enough money, more than enough money that week to pay the bills, and the rest is history because I just kept going with that process that this wasn't going to happen. Now, at that time in my career, I didn't understand that much about shame. I knew what shame was. I knew it existed. I didn't know how um, prevalent it was in, in, in human history or in mankind, period. But what I do with a lot of things when I'm really looking to see the truth, and what I mean by the truth in the context of what we're discussing today is that I'm looking for a universal truth. Like, whatever you believe in, whoever, whatever, however this universe was created, there is some kind of a logic to it. There is some kind of a math to it. There is some kind of a life-giving force that exists in it. And that thing creates everything. So you call it whatever you want. Um, That doesn't matter to me. The idea is that we understand more about it. So I was thinking to myself, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, you know what's really interesting about shame is it doesn't exist in the animal kingdom. Um, And I really started to wake up and then start studying it in depth. But the idea is we're not born with shame. Human beings are not born with shame. We're born being susceptible to it, which I'm going to tell you about in a minute. But the the important point is to remember we're not born with it. Somebody gave it to us. If you look at the animal kingdom, you'll see that the animal kingdom fails just as much as human beings do. But they don't sit around and wallow in it. They don't sit around in self-pity. They don't get depressed. They don't start, you know, taking... Adderall or Prozac or Valium or whatever. They don't they don't sit around and drink, they don't do destructive behavior to distract themselves away from the supposed pain that they're feeling. What they do is they pick themselves up and it moves forward. All life continues to move forward. But there's no self-consciousness to reflect back any shame. And shame, if you look at shame and like what is the definition of shame, it's the it is the detesting. Or the hate of the self, literally thinking something is wrong with us as a being, like fundamentally something wrong with us, which there is not, by the way, right? It's 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 total craziness. However, what we have uh that's very different than the animal kingdom is we require A child is required to be with their parents for a much longer period of time than any other animal that we're aware of in the animal kingdom. Animals have a very quick way of getting their young up and productive or either killed and they're out of the situation, uh, but it all happens really quick. Uh, With human beings, this takes a long time. Now, just like with animals and with human beings, there's something that's very interesting that also happens. There is this bonding that is required in order to sustain life in the early years. And with human beings, the more and more we study about this bonding, the more significant we find how necessary it is for that baby to be with the parent uh, in the very beginning years, to be touched by the parent, to have attention paid by the parent, to be fed by the parent, to be to be, you know, uh, uh, held, you know, and, and made feel secure by this parent. And when it doesn't happen, for whatever the reason is, there are huge dysfunctions that show up in these child's lives when they did not have the proper kind of attention uh, and love that, that uh, they require for their psychological and emotional development. We know this now. It's, it, this is all science uh, at this point. But what is fascinating about that is that because we have such a need for it, it leaves a gap open in our lives for that need to be exploited. And when that need is exploited, one of the things that can exploit it is shame. If we realize from a genetic perspective, if we don't get that closeness, from a genetic perspective, it means death to the, to the, to the baby whatever. Right, it has to have that bond. Without the bond, it's death. Without the attention, it's death. Without the caring uh, of the of the baby, whether it's a human being or or an animal, um, you know, it's basically death. And I'm, with animals, I'm talking mostly with mammals, uh, because the other animals have a different way of of surviving. But it's death, and. Whenever the child feels insecure, the child is going to behave in whatever way gets the attention of the parent to bring back the security. It doesn't matter whether it's negative attention or positive. Any attention at all is the symbol of life to that child. Now, when we have, when we have parents that grow up and they're not taught uh, functional skills for raising children, Every parent runs into the same thing at one point. They run into the, to the obstinate child around two years old, sometimes a little younger, sometimes a little older, that is going to defy everything that the parent says. This is where the terrible twos got their name from. And like any parent, this can be an extremely frustrating time in raising children, and it can be an extremely exhausting time in raising children, especially for young parents, because, you know, traditionally most people have children young and in their young years, they're working out, they're trying to get themselves established. Uh, They're coming home and they're having to take care of a child until the wee hours of the morning or the small hours. And they're not getting as much rest as they should. So, so temperaments get on edge, let's say. Right. Um, And when that happens, the parent's almost willing to resort to anything to get the child to behave. However, put that aside for a second. If the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If you've never been given tools or skill sets that allow you to be able to influence other individuals, um, to motivate other individuals, to recognize other individuals, to get them to behave or take action in any way, and the only tool that you are given is shame, then that becomes what you result to. That becomes the modus operandi. If I can get somebody to move because I'm shaming them, I'm going to shame the hell out of that person to do it. So it becomes the problem of the parent's parent because this doesn't just show up in one generation. It's handed down generation after generation after generation. You would never see somebody that is psychologically well, emotionally healthy, uh, they've re- they have have demonstrated their ability to influence, lead, and direct people of any kind, whether it's their own children or others, just one day decide to give that up and start using shame as a different way of getting their needs met. You wouldn't see that happen. It has to happen at an age where somebody doesn't have the ability to reject it. And that's what happens with these kids. When we're little kids, we're under the complete authority of our parents. Of, of whoever's raising us, right? We're under the complete authority of the teachers. We're under the complete authority of the clergy. We're under the complete authority of society. And today in the world that we live in, whether we want to believe it or not, there is the idea of authority of social media, meaning that it's the authority of the mob, right because that's what it is it's the mob let's call it what it is it's the mob the authority of the mob meaning that the mob has the ability to shame you as a collective and just tear you apart and there's great consequences with this the mob that's on social media today is no different than the mobs of the witch hunts uh of the Salem witch trials of uh, you know all the different things that happen the Jacobite Rebellion in, what was it, 1642 or whatever, like go all the way back to all the different mobs that were throughout history where they attacked people based on an ideology or a belief. And the punishment was severe. It was, it was horrific torture, horrific death uh, for most of those uh, individuals. With human beings now, it's the same thing because it what they're playing off of is the separation. It's very difficult to instill a fear when there's not a gap for that fear to actually take root in. And we're only raised with two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. So it needs a gap. It needs some place for it to take root. And kids get it at a very early age because they'll get it from parents. And if they don't get it from parents, they'll get it from a teacher. If they don't get a teacher, they'll get it from the church. If they don't get it from the church, they're going to get it from their peer group. If they don't get it from a peer group, they're going to get it from social media. Like there's almost no place that they will not be or there's not any place where they will not be exposed to this to some degree and as long as there is any kind of insecurity going on it will begin to take root in that person and the damnest thing about shame is it's like uh, it's like an emotional cancer if you will once it gives life into the person it begins to take over and the person runs that program over and over again not understanding what they really want is love appreciation validation, to be part of the group, to be recognized, to be successful, because there's this genetic idea that if we're part of the whole, we will survive. And Children are supposed to be raised in a way where they become independent of that idea to some degree so that they can be an individual, right? So that they can stand in their individuality, so that they can express themselves. Animals mostly do this, even if they're pack animals. They accept their their individuality, and they become the best that they can be in whatever their species is determined for them to be. So what we don't, what most people don't realize is that as this progresses forward, we come up against a big problem. And the problem is, is that the main things in life that, can, that control our thinking, that govern who we are as people, we've also successfully put a, a tremendous dose of shame around that. All the major religions teach with, with the tool of shame. Um, we've wrapped shame around our bodies and shame around our sexuality and the way we want to express our sexuality. We've put shame around money, what we do with it, the fact that we don't have it, how we're going to get it, how we don't get it. There's all kinds of shame around that. You've got the big three. You've got God, you've got sex, and you've got money, which is your resource for life in the world that we're currently living in. And if you don't do it right or the way other people think that you should do it, you're shamed because of it. If you want to stand out and be different and go start a business, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you're going to basically say, I'm standing up above the mediocre of the world. I'm standing up above the average. I want to do something better, bigger. And as you begin to do that, you're separating yourself from the same herd. As you separate yourself, they're going to see you as something that's wrong uh, and they're going to shame you. And that's where we become very susceptible in our business to making mistakes, getting shamed, and then coming all the way back down again and totally burning and crashing. If we understand that almost Every single thing that goes on inside of us that would keep us from the success that we want, and I'm talking about negative thinking, negative emotions, negative behavior, self-destructive behavior, numbing behavior, the, the idea that you want to escape, whatever it might be, it's all, all of it is rooted in shame. Shame is the real enemy of success. Shame is the enemy of individuality shame is the enemy of expressing yourself as the as the beautiful person that you are and in every area of your life whether that is physically or sexually or in your thought or in your emotion or artistically or in your creativity when shame gets in there it stifles that side of yourself and you're not able to give that godlike expression to the world so we have to understand who the enemy is the enemy is shame know your enemy. Know that the enemy is shame. And the idea in order to change it is to to understand this one thing. Number one, it's not us. It's somebody else's voice that got in our head. What is the real problem? The real problem is that we're insecure and we think that we need validation, love, commitment, uh, appreciation, approval, acceptance by other people in order for us to be well. And while all of those other things are nice – it's not required for us to be well, but it was at one time. We need to learn to separate that out in our mind. You're not a six-month-old infant that is going to die if mom's not around. You're not the vulnerable kid on the playground that is, that is going to no, not know what to do with themselves if the other kids don't accept you for volleyball or whatever. You're an adult, and you have to be willing to stand on your own two feet and heal that side of yourself. And where does, what is the way we do that? It's through acceptance it's through acceptance of who we really are as a person. You, you should study who you are. You should become, you should have the realization of who you are and accept yourself. And every time you feel shame, realize somebody else gave that to you. That's not who you are. Just silently in your mind, give it back to them. And you go on doing what the thing that you're doing, because you're you are a great amazing human being. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what your story is, you're absolutely amazing. And you don't deserve to have shame in your life. But at this point, you're the only one that can get rid of it. Nobody else can make it go away because somehow or another it got in you. Your job is to get it out of you. I hope that makes sense. This is David Nagel. Have a great day and we'll see you on the next Successful Mind podcast